Wow, was that amazing worship, huh? I get wrecked when we sing that song. It says, he breaks up the ground of my traditions. He, he breaks down the walls of my religion. It's not, it's not against tradition or against religion, but it's against them containing us and limiting what God wants to do through us. And so there's just, you know, this, the purpose of the day of Pentecost was to release the love of God into the world. So I wanna talk about this uh, today. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you keep coming in our lives, on our lives, would you open our hearts and minds to the word of God, that we would hear it, that we would be changed by it, empowered by it, and that our minds would be renewed, that we might think like you think and love like you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, I, I, this started a little, it's my own guide to kind of keep things on track on a theme that the Lord's speaking, but I, I shared this a number of months ago. I was in some kind of intercession, you know, for our nation, our culture, really the whole world, and there in my fetal position prayer, I call it, you know, in the middle of the night, like, oh, God, you know, I'm feeling the burden, and the Lord spoke to me. I said, God, what are you saying? He said, and he, he gave me a little list, which is rare for me, because probably I don't have that good of a attention span, but he, he said, awake, arise, count it all joy, no eye has seen what he has prepared, and the my eyes, the eyes of the Lord, run to and fro over the face of the earth, looking for those whose hearts are perfect toward me, to whom, through whom I can show myself strong. All right, so, so we've, it, I've spoken on that. Awake, you know, Isaiah 51. Wake up, wake up, wake yourself, wake yourself. Oh, Jerusalem, city of God, you know. And when you awake, then you get up. So arise, and Isaiah 60, arise, uh, which I love the translation that says, stand up and become light. Arise, shine, why? Because your light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness to peoples, but the Lord shall arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And verse three, nations shall come to your light and to the and kings to the brightness of your rising. How many know this This. A prophetic word is not fully exhausted. It wasn't exhausted at all during Isaiah's lifetime. It was fulfilled somewhat during the season of the incarnation. I mean, that was every promise of God finds its yes in him. And it was released at the day of Pentecost and is still being played out. So I just figure it's good. You know, whenever there's darkness that seems to be covering the earth, we need to have hope that God is not intimidated. Amen? Arise and shine. And so I started a message on Romans 5 about standing, standing and shining. Romans 5.1, the last time I spoke, I, I covered Romans 5.1 and 2. Verse 1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, that's, you know, we're totally taken care of, it's past tense. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's present, it's in our, active in our life. 
Verse two, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we arise and we're standing in grace, hallelujah. And so we, we rejoice or boast in the hope of the glory of God, which covers the future, that we have this confident expectation that God will be glorified in our lives every day and that it'll get brighter and brighter. Okay, thanks for the big amen, I appreciate that. So, so this is kind of a, you know, so we arise and shine, and this is the beginning of a journey to joy. So it starts with darkness, with deep darkness, or King James says gross darkness uh, that covers the earth, and we're on a, a journey, not just for ourselves, but for the whole earth to joy. And so... Uh, the, second, the third word he, he spoke to me was counted all joy. James 1, verse 2, counted all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds, or you meet all kinds of problems and difficulties is a way to translate. But that word, count it joy, is a governmental word. It's not just like, oh, well, it's joy. But it's not like, no, I'm gonna declare, I'm gonna decree, and I'm gonna make it joy. You know, I, and I, I'm not trying to use cliches, but I'm trying to say there is a posture of ruling over everything that's thrown at us and saying, oh, that's gonna be joy. That's gonna be joy. That's gonna be joy. So it might not be joy in the moment, but the joy will come in the morning. Okay. So it, we're on a journey to joy, and so this brings us back to Romans 5, verse 3, that we govern our hearts toward joy. Um, Romans 5, 3, not only that, not only what? Not only do we boast or rejoice or glory in uh, the hope of, or joy in the glory, the hope of the glory of God, but we also rejoice which is the same word, it means to boast, to exalt, to celebrate. We rejoice in our sufferings. What? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Verse four, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope, <laughs> yes, hope does not put us to shame. Hooray. <laughs> Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So we're talking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit today. And so, but it, let's, let's look into this in a little detail. Why is he boasting? Like, Paul, are you neurotic? Like, you know, I says, wait, not only that, not only am I boasting in the hope of the glory of God, but I'm boy, boasting in the bad, the nasty now, that, that's coming at me, and I'm boasting that it's going to become something transforming. This is, this is the governing of our hearts toward joy. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that, knowing that, see, yeah, we have to understand that. That's why we need the word of God to not only inform us, but to form us and transform us so that we think biblically, not what the world is throwing at us. So, which is, uh, you know, starving polar bears and uh, riots in the cities and all the stuff, bad stuff. It's just like, here's all the bad stuff, all the bad stuff, all the bad stuff. Are you depressed yet? 
you know? And so, but God is throwing at us all the good stuff and internally there is a fountain of joy inside you that where you can see what God is doing, not what all the sin and depravity around us is doing. So Jesus put it this way, it was really simple. John 16, he you know, he said, my peace I give you. That's his peace and he gives it to us. So since it's his peace, it's available because it's been given to us. Then he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulations or sufferings. Same word. So I'm in the world, there's sufferings. And then he says, but be of good cheer, be courageous, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. And we're like, yeah, well, it's still coming at me. Right. So we live in the tension that he's given us his peace and he and he promises that he has already achieved the victory, but we're in the place that in the world we have suffering. So it's not, it's not like a strange thing that should come upon us. That's what Peter wrote. Like, don't consider it a strange thing. So it's not a strange thing. It's something that God's going to actually use for his glory. Okay, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and, you, and I just went through that, but so here's what we have to know, that when, the reason he's boasting is not because he's neurotic, but because he understands process and that there's purpose in the suffering that it's an opportunity for transformation. See, we have to know there's purpose governing our lives. And if you don't understand it, go meditate on the longest sentence in the New Testament, which is Ephesians 1, I think starting at verse three and ending down around verse 14. It's in, in the Greek, it's all one sentence, but God makes, Paul makes it clear, God has a plan and he's executing his plan. He's not executing you, he executed his own son and he's giving you all things because of his plan. Okay, so just get back here to, Verse three, not only that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces, we rejoice uh, not only in future glory but in present trials because they, they produce something that we're after. And so we're not just enduring horrible things, you know, stoically, like, oh, just keep a stiff upper lip. I mean, there are times when that might be as good as you can do, having done all you just stand. But no, they're not simply to be endured, but they're to be gloried in. Do you understand that when you begin to rejoice in something that should make you go crazy, you have just overcome the craziness that that suffering was meant to produce? You, you know, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We, we dwell in his courts through praise, you know. So sufferings are real hardships. These aren't just lightweight, you know, like, oh, man, it's so hard. I got a, I got a ticket today because I went through a red light. That's not a suffering. That's a consequence, you know. The, the, and it's wonderful when we do it and we don't get a ticket. All right, thank you, God, for all the mercy you've had. And so, but sufferings are real hardships and no one likes these. But when we cat, see, God is saying, so when these things happen that are really actually bad, count them as challenges to be overcome. Because he said, I've overcome the world. And they become, they become doorways to new possibilities. See, when he's saying, 
I've overcome the world. He brings us into his victory, but we live it in real time. Do, do you see what I'm saying? So, so and, it, and those sufferings, as we turn them to joy, we, in, we, they produce in us, they cultivate, they bring about, they prepare us for endurance. And I like endurance better than the traditional translation is patience. And that, first I liked patience because I had memorized it, you know, and as a young Christian, I thought, wait, it can't be something different. It has to be what I memorized. But how many know God wants to break up the ground of our traditions? He wants to break down the walls of our religion and he wants to t- bring us into his place. And so, so when I understand, oh, my sufferings are an opportunity to cultivate and produce endurance in me, endurance must be something really good, not just like, okay, I'm just staying put, even though that is part of it. But here's what endurance is persistence and it's resilience. How many know we need resilience, right? And this word is used to describe an active manly fortitude. Yes, isn't it great to say manly? Do not be politically correct. Do not let your speech be limited by the world. Please, (laughs) like... We have thousands of years of human literature with, with normal thinking, and we're, right now we're just in a crazy season. So we're, we're standing in resistance against political correctness. Endurance is used, this word was used to describe a soldier who in the thick of a hard battle gives as much as he gets. Who he is not dismayed, dismayed by the blows he receives, but fights to the end. And that will make us stronger. And if you, you give your life fighting, I'm telling you, there is a great crown of reward waiting for you. You know, you can't lose. Okay, so this is character. Suffering produces character. This is why we're, part of why we're boasting. But it's also developing hope, which is really important because Hope is the basis, the ground on which faith emerges. And so endurance produces character, and character produces hope. What's character? You know, some people used to say, well, you're a real character, but it's not that kind of character. It's the kind of character that speaks of virtue and integrity and humility and the, the things Chandi referenced for the mission team going out, walk in humility and, and come with a servant's heart. That's character. This word character is, was used in the, in the language of the New Testament to, to describe metal that had been refined. It had passed through the fire, the furnace of much affliction, and it was purified. And, it, and it's much like a, a, a word that we might use is sterling. So we describe silver that has been purified. It's not 100% pure, fine silver, but it's 92.5%. It's called sterling silver. And so we've heard that word perhaps in our lifetime. Maybe you've never heard it. So read more. Um, Read history. Read history. Don't let the media and, and WhatsApp and Instagram and TikTok be your history Like, get some perspective on what it means to be a human being and live in the greatest cultural tradition that's ever existed in the world, the Judeo-Christian tradition of Western civilization, and you're living in the freest 
country in the world, and people are trying to change that, but I want you to know there, there's a reason why all the immigrants desire to come here, and it's not to fix us. <laughs> they want a piece of it, you know, so I'm just saying, this is the truth. Walk in it, and it'll set you free. Okay, so character. Stir back to stir. That was a quick rabbit trail, and I'm not even going to shoot that rabbit. I'm going to let it run wild through, through you. The, but yeah, freedom, freedom in the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Stand fast in that liberty, and don't be entangled in the yoke of Marxist bondage or religious bondage, just saying. Okay, so back to Sterling to describe character. It means a person of highest character. They say, oh, that's a young man. That young man has a Sterling character. That young woman is a Sterling character. These are the kinds of children that parents who want to do matchmaking should be on the lookout for and kind of point their children like, hey, maybe we should get together with this family or that family. All right. I'm just, now I'm really meddling, huh? Okay, so, but see, so character, that character, walking in character produces hope. It produces a, not only an optimism that the world is a wonderful place because God created and he called creation good, but it produces an expectation that you're part of that goodness and that there is a future for you and it's not being destroyed by all the craziness around us. That's biblical hope. It's hope in the glory of God that will be revealed not only in the future but in the world around us. You're carrying the hope of the glory of God in your person if you live in Jesus. Okay, so... Why would we be boasting? Verse five goes on. Now we've covered hope. <laughs> uh, because there's going to be a Holy Spirit outpouring of love and this is our expectation, verse five. And hope does not disappoint or put us to shame. Very important. So if you hope in God, you will not be put to shame. I mean, this is, this is the message and in many cultures, and the biblical culture, especially the Old Testament, was a honor-shame culture. And so when, when Isaiah would speak and Paul would quote it in his letter to the Romans, that whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved and they shall not be put to shame. That was a very significant word. It means it won't destroy your status. It might destroy your status within a a warped and twisted little cultural situation, but it will raise your status in the heavenlies and God will open a door of hope for you in the valley of trouble and you'll step into opportunities you didn't even know existed. And that's true for your family, it's true for you as a person, for your ministry, and it's true for your business, and it's true for our cities that we live in, wherever you're living, that city is blessed by the virtue of you living there. And I'm speaking to people online, and not only that, but your nation is blessed. So keep shining and keep boasting, even in your sufferings, that everything that happens in and to you has purpose. Come on. All right. 
Hope doesn't put us to shame. And here's the good part. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, this isn't love in tiny little measures. You know, this isn't little drips and and drops of blood. This is an ocean of love that gets poured into our little heart. It's like you hold out your cup. I'm thirsty, Lord. And he pours the ocean into you so that wherever you go, there is an infinite um, volume of the love of God available in the environment around you. I mean, God has no problem multiplying infinity. You know, I mean, you know, it's so deep, you can't get under it. (laughs) It's so high, you can't get over it. It's so wide, you can't get around it. And I'm not talking about the bosom of Abraham. I'm talking about the love of God. And this is what Paul's passion was to know this. How do we know it? We know it as we go through these processes. This is why, okay, man, this is really a painful delay. This is a, a disappointment that's just got me doubled over in grief. And, you know, those are normal human responses. But now, okay, in the midst of that, there's something inside you, the Holy Spirit, I should say someone inside you, the Holy Spirit, who's, who's whispering, rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Yeah, but God, I'm down here in the Mamertine prison under Caesar's palace, and they're gonna chop my head off, and the Holy Spirit's saying, tell those Philippians to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And I'm telling you, the joy of the Lord and the peace of God will keep you in a supernatural way that makes no sense to the world around us, but you become a portal of the glory of the cross and the glory of the resurrection. And you become a releaser of life and hope in a hopeless world around you. You become a shining light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Come on. Jesus, don't be intimidated. Boast. <laughs> okay, so, and when it says the Holy Spirit is poured out, that is the, that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It's the same word used when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And so we're, you're, like every time you come into this encounter with the love of God, you're having a reliving of the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And it's not the total dimension of it, which we're gonna get into in just a second here. It, and the worship team can get up. And so, okay, getting all the clues down. And, the, uh, and so, but I am telling you, God will use what seems like the worst thing for the best thing. And don't, I mean, and here's, we have to hear what the Lord is saying. We have to be informed what scripture is saying and not what our friends are saying sometimes. Hopefully we have godly friends, but sometimes our friend, Ann and I, you know, when we came here from California, it was terrible. Everything in our life was terrible. It was like, maybe we were the victims of witchcraft. It seems we found out later we were, that someone was cursing us. But how many know, this is Deuteronomy 23, verse five, that God took the curse of Balaam, and, and Moses rehearsed this, and he says, and God turned the curse into a blessing because he loves you. Deuteronomy 23, five. You should put that on the refrigerator and declare it over you. So what was, and our friends were calling us back. We love you guys, please come back. The people in Pennsylvania said, please go back. We don't, what are you doing here? We don't like you. Like not, not the, you know, eventually. So we endured the first year. Not John. We endured the first, 
six to nine months without having a clue why we were here to say, God, what's our crime? Why are you punishing us? You know, and I, I said, please tell me my crime because I'll try to have good behavior, get out early. And, uh, and I didn't know I, I had stepped, I'd gone through the valley of trouble and stepped into a door of hope. And Dave Landis, who's my dear friend, recognized this on our lives. He, he, he was convinced we fulfilled a prophecy. I preached, you know, the next day he tells me about the prophecy and then I got hired and then, so it seemed like, well, okay, good, we're here. At least we have some reason that we can't convince me. And what I didn't know, but of course God knew is a few months later, Dave made a, a really painful and, and hard decision that wasn't a good one. He's repented of it since then and he's an awesome guy. But it's just like it, it, the church got thrown into all this pain and I got, I ended up becoming the pastor. I was praying and I said, God, just help this church out. I'll stay here and help them until they get a new pastor. And God spoke to me and said, I've set you here. And I said, like, oh, I don't know if I want to be set here. First of all, I didn't really want to be a pastor. Second of all, I didn't want to be here. And here wasn't here. Here was on 13th Street in our, in our old casket warehouse. And, and, uh, but it was. And, you know, and that seemed hard and there were painful parts. But there's an amazing thing. God gave us joy. God gave us prayer. God gave us worship. As a house, it became embedded in our DNA. And so the suffering produced a grit. The suffering produced a resilience, endurance. And the endurance produced character. And we, you, can't, you can't really produce your own character. You just keep making good decisions over a long period of time. And under pressure and, and temptation, you make the right decision. It develops sterling character. And then that produced hope and expectation. And I can't even thank God for what a good thing he's done here <laughs> through my suffering. And it was, you know, but I'm just saying, don't give up no matter what you're in. Okay, so now we get to the good part. He pours out the Holy Spirit on us. And... Uh, and, you know, I just want you to know that his plans are better than we expect. And so I want to segue to uh, Acts chapter 1, because this is the illustration. I mean, God's promises apply to every tragedy, every trial, every teardrop, every burden, every setback, every delay. They're, they're, when he says that for those who love God, all things work together. He's not saying except for this, and except for you, or except for, he said, do you love me? Yes, then believe my promises. And you may not see the full outworking in this life, but you'll see them through all eternity. And so, and so our, our commandment is to live in love. This is my commandment, love God and love each other. And so, but his plans are better than we expect. So I love this little you know, uh, there's a word for it, tableau, in, in these uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 6, 7, 8. And so the disciples have been with him for a number of weeks since he, the resurrection. But verse 6 starts out and says, a little later, they asked him, Lord, 
will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, why would they ask that? Not because they were stupid, because they were asking that because this was the tradition they were brought up in. They were taught this as children by their parents. They were taught this in school. They were taught this. It was reinforced in the synagogue. And so even though everything they'd been through with Jesus, and at certain times he threw grenades into their expectation, but, you know, they shook it off like most of us, like, oh, you know, and and they just were still thinking in their tradition. And so they, that God wasn't going to restore the Davidic kingdom, which was what they were expecting the Messiah to do. Get rid of the Romans, you know, Israel would be the joy of the whole earth and all that. But he said, uh, I can't answer that. Not for you to know. And actually, it's the Father's business. And then he says this in verse eight. See, he breaks up the ground of their tradition. He breaks down the walls of their religion so they can make room for the grandeur of what God wants to do. And so he gets to verse eight and he says, but you will receive power. Oh, you will receive power. They were asking for a good life, but he says, no, I'm gonna give you power that will change the world when, when will this happen? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He makes a promise and he speaks of it in the past tense because he knows it's going to happen. And you, it's very interesting. Verse eight is one sentence and three times. It's you, you, you. Because he's, you know, they're asking him about the circumstances and the politics and the culture. And he's giving them an answer like, I'm gonna do something in you, through you, to you and through you. But you will receive power when, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, poured out upon you, came upon you. That language was used by Luke when he was describing Mary. And when, when she said to Michael, the archangel, how can this How can this be? And he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One born of you will be called the Son of God, will be holy, the Son of God. Is that amazing? So they're asking, and Jesus is using this language. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and they're going to bring something into the world that's never been there before. But the pow- that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't go through cr- life as Christians just trying to be extra nice people. We need to be extra wonderful, holy people, but we need to be empowered. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So this is the invitation today. Has the Holy Spirit come upon you? Maybe you were baptized in the Holy Spirit once a long time ago. You spoke in tongues and everything. But are you walking in power today? Or maybe you've longed for this empowering. Maybe the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you, but you don't recognize the gifting that's in you. And so you're not operating in that power. But Jesus said, When you will receive power, that's the promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he pours out the ocean of God's love. But after he fills us, then he overflows our lives with power. And then he says, and because of that power, you're gonna be something different. You won't try to attain it. You won't have to get a, a program to to slowly be this, you will be something. It will be who you are. It's your existence. You know, and the, 
you will be my witnesses. You will be the testimony that I was really here. You will be the one who stands in the court of the culture that says there is no God or there, there can't be that God or that's a stupid story. And you will be the testimony that it may sound stupid to you, but it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Would you like to know that truth? And so we stand as light in the darkness. We stand empowered by God with the potential of every biblical miracle flowing through our lives. You don't have to be special, you just need to be empowered and be in the will of God. And sometimes the reality is no one can do a miracle. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. So you position yourself, you stay in power, you stay in love, you, you just say, Holy Spirit, fill me up today. Lord Jesus, I clothe myself in you. I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I'm not gonna spend my time on Instagram and Snapchat. I'm gonna spend my time in scripture, in prayer, and actively loving and serving people with humility. And I'll be in the place where miracles manifest. Anyway, let's see if I'm forgetting anything here. You'll be my witnesses. You'll be the one who gives testimony, even at the point of death. This is where the word, this word is where we get our English word martyr. Not everybody who gives testimony dies for it. We all die to ourselves daily. But you know what? If we give our life for the gospel, there is no greater way to go. You know, like there we are, we're giving, we're speaking the truth in love, we're standing with joy with, with in our eyes, with indestructible life in us, and somebody snuffs out this earthly life and we're instantly enter into the stadium of the great cloud of witnesses who are standing and cheering that we remain faithful even unto death and the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony and our love for him over our own life will overcome every scheme of the evil one. There's not a Freemason, there's not a Satanist on earth that can stand against the blood of the covenant, the blood of the covenant, the blood of the covenant. Moses threw the blood of the covenant on the people and they became the covenant people of God. The blood of Jesus has been made available to you. And we partake every time we have communion. It's the blood of the covenant. It's the blood of the covenant. It's the blood of Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I just want to invite you, because then the thing is, we, you know, it breaks down our walls. They were going to be sent into Jerusalem, which was scary. Judea, which was a challenge to them because they were Galileans, to Samaria, the people they, they had a racial prejudice against, and to the end of the earth, which they couldn't even imagine. I'm telling you, today is the day. There's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So you may have been filled already, but maybe you haven't been, you know, I'm telling you, just lift up your hands. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you pour would you be poured out on us on this Erev Shavuot, this Eve of Pentecost in the Jewish calendar? Thank you that we're in a whole season of the harvest opening up that will continue all through the summer into the fall. God, we declare it. We declare harvest. We pray. We declare that Holy Spirit, come and empower us. 
Come and empower us. Come and empower us. As you're standing there and you're just standing, I want you to expect to receive. So Holy Spirit, would you fall on your people again today? Through many who've suffered, many who've endured, many who've been sanctified through this last season are now filled with hope and the love of God is flooding our hearts. Fill us with that oceanic, uncreated, holy, supernatural love of God. That we would love you with the love you've given us and we would love our neighbor as ourselves. We would love each other. God, would you, would you just release the love and the power right now? So I wanna, if you're standing there and you just say, God, I feel your presence on me. I, I want you to come forward because what we're doing, we're just responding to what the Holy Spirit's doing. We're just responding. We're just saying, God, I feel your love. I feel your power, but I want more. I want more. I just want you to come forward. And you may not feel anything, but you just said, I am so, I am thirsty. I want, it, I want this love to be poured out of me. I need it. I'm crusty and old and tired. And if, if you, you've, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that we would be baptized again and again and again in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, I believe that there's one baptism for the remission of sin. That's a baptism in water, but there's a baptism into the body of Christ. This baptism has multiple parts. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ, and then Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and power so that there is fire and power. And fire is energy. It's the release of energy. There's combustion on you in Jesus' name. So, oh, God, would you just increase it, increase it, increase it. Anyone who's never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I invite you to come forward. And I just invite the interns and the staff and as much of the ministry team as is here. I know some of you have come up and say, I want more. You just come up and we're just gonna go through and start praying for people. And um, you may wanna get a helper because we don't want people to fall and get hurt. Or if you sense there's a lot of power, you might ask people to kneel down so if they fall, they don't fall very hard, far. And so, Father, more, more, more. And in every home that is watching online, in every car, restaurant, wherever you are, that, that the power of God would fill you, fill your country, those watching in the Middle East, that there would be a fresh power released upon you that would impact. We thank you for the great harvest among Muslim nations right now in this season after Ramadan, that there will be a real outpouring. We pray for Israel. We pray for the peace of Israel. We pray. We pray that the Palestinian people would be freed from the the agenda of Hamas and Hezbollah, and they would come in a great harvest to Jesus, the one who loves them. That there would be reconciliation and an outpouring in every nation, in Egypt, in Syria, in Jordan, in Lebanon, Iraq, in Kurdistan. That there would be a harvest we've never imagined in 
Europe and North America in Jesus' name, on the university campuses of America, that there would be an outpouring of hunger for you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, in Jesus' name. Okay, let's start praying. <laughs> and uh, I guess I should say, if, if you wanna go, you need to leave, God bless you. May the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the supernatural love and power of the Holy Spirit be with you as you go into this world, that you live in communion with Him. Amen, amen. God bless.